Hey there, friends of Holy Shenanigans Podcast. I'm thrilled to share that I'll be recording live from the Wild Goose Festival this July 11 through 14. Wild Goose Festival is a transformational community grounded in faith-inspired social justice. It's a one-of-a-kind gathering that brings together activists, artists, and seekers from all walks of life to explore justice and art, spirituality, and community. The festival will take place at Van Hoy Farms in Union Grove, North Carolina, and I'd love for you to join me there. From engaging workshops to inspired panels and interactive experiences, Wild Goose has something for everyone. So mark your calendars and let's be part of this incredible community that is committed to making a positive impact in the world. For more information, visit www. WildGooseFestival.org. As one of my followers, use a discount code A-TLE24. That's A-TLE24. And you'll get $50 off the price of an adult weekend ticket. We will see you there at the Wild Goose Festival to connect, to build community, and to work for social justice. Welcome to Holy Shenanigans. I'm your muse, Tara Lamont Eastman, a poet, a pastor, and a podcaster. In the HSP neighborhood, we encourage the spiritual practice of looking and listening for the sacred in everyday life. This is what we call Holy Shenanigans. Collaboration is a Holy Shenanigans. In this week's lectionary readings, there is a theme of collaboration that can't be ignored. From Genesis 24's account of Isaac meeting his betrothed, Rebecca, a song of praise to God in Psalm 145, to a God who extends compassion and mercy to humanity, and Matthew 11's woe to the townsfolk who can't grasp the news of the kingdom of God, proclaimed by the wild and woolly John the Baptist, all the way to Jesus, who ate with tax collectors and, quote, sinners. In these lessons, I see examples of collaboration as a tool to promote a new way forward, new relationships that yield life, even amidst great opposition. In these stories, I see God showing us that new relationships can build unlikely partnerships that innovate and make way for new life, for greater inclusion and space to embrace change as the way forward. Have you ever had a problem that required you to seek a new solution? In my area of vocation, the Big C Church, we have lots of problems that need new solutions and lots of innovation. Problems like reduction in engagement and people being involved in this work, shrinking budgets, and more. These kind of challenges are not technical or simply solved. They are adaptive, problems that require multidimensional and complex answers. According to a leadership study at the University of Chicago, the single biggest failure of leadership is to treat adaptive challenges like technical 
problems. From my own experience, I would suggest that adaptive challenges require a total different mindset, a willingness to dig deep and uncover the real purpose of an organization or a personal aspiration. That an adaptive leader must be willing to make space for questions and the time to wrestle with many a conflict, to uncover the elephants that have been avoided way too long. Adaptive leaders dream and act on bold goals that foster health in people and the organizations they support. The dance of understanding the difference between adaptive challenges and technical ones is one I have tangled with for quite some time, and it's one that I continue to learn new steps to every single day. But I find great comfort in knowing that I am not alone on this dance floor of adaptive change. About 18 years ago, I was introduced to Spencer Burke, a spiritual leadership innovator by way of the original website and magazine for progressive Christianity called The Ooze. I read The Ooze and eventually submitted articles to the website and was thrilled to find there were other Jesus followers that were engaged in the daring work of addressing adaptive challenges in the world, the church, and in our personal spiritual lives. From about 2003 to the present day, Spencer has been a co-collaborator, mentor, and friend through this ongoing work by way of his work with Solarize and Lean Faith. Because of Spencer's investment in the work of innovation, I have withstood many a rough transition in church world. I think it's fair to say I stand on Spencer's shoulders as I continue in my own calling as a holy shenanigator. Just last summer, Spencer invited me to take part in an online conference focused on change-making and innovation called The Next Sunday. The interview you are about to hear comes from this interview, with Spencer focused on the theme of collaboration and what it means to be a faith community in the present as well as into the future. So what is The Next Sunday for the Big C Church? How should the church innovate and collaborate for health and wholeness? There's more to be heard on this in just a moment. In this interview, I discuss the ways that church leaders in the past have stood on the shoulders of previous innovators. For example, how Martin Luther used the innovation of the printing press to get scripture into the hands and hearts of regular folks. While Martin Luther and Johann Gutenberg didn't literally work together, I see their work in literacy as a groundbreaking collaboration. Don't you? So here's to a holy shenanigans conversation to inspire you in your own efforts in innovation and adaptive change making. I hope this chat with Spencer helps to lift you up and provide a few more shoulders for you to stand on. Welcome to the Next Sunday Summit, a series of 30 interviews with top spiritual innovators and practitioners that are exploring the new realities and opportunities for forward-thinking faith leaders and communities. You can find out more information about how you and your community can join in the growing collaborative conversation at www.thenextsunday.com. This interview 
features Tara Lamont Eastman on the topic Permission Granted, New Ways of Being the Church. And now your host, Spencer Burke. Well, Tara, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I've loved being on your podcast and in your community. It's just a wonderful, just great idea. So as we play with this, um, uh, I know that you've had an opportunity to, when, per, uh, when Phyllis Tickle was alive, to have her have conversation with your community early on. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you were feeling about it then? She is a prophet in a sense. But yes. now even, how are uh, these words resonating in our time, uh, kind of this post-pandemic? Yeah. Um, So I had the distinct pleasure somewhere around 2007, right before The Great Emergence was published, um, to be working actually at a Presbyterian congregation that would bring authors in for book salons and for talks um, around this idea of the emerging church. Um, And so my job was to like do the hospitality and like get Phyllis from the airport to this little place in in, uh, Southwestern New York. Um, So I had wonderful conversations with her and she was just um, a a mentor and a friend to me. um, And I'm so grateful for her and her prophetic work. But I remember her um, standing in front of a, a board, you know, with a a marker and the paper, you know, those big post-it sheets. Um, And she drew what she called the rose. And if you're familiar with the book, um, she talks about that blending, you know, every 500 years, the church has a yard sale, right? As in big church has a big yard sale and everything, you know, that isn't working goes out onto onto the street. Um, But she would draw that rose and she would say, oh, you know, what group do you represent? What group do you represent to the folks that had been invited to this conference? Um, And and then she just takes the big marker and just makes this (laughs) scribbly rose on the paper. And she's like, that's what's happening. (laughs) And I was like, oh, yeah. And so in the context of that, that place, um, I mean, I had come from a very different tradition, and then I was working there as a musician and a lay preacher and an outreach person um, that was to this this new environment. But, you know, I just think about that 500-year cycle a lot. Um, I think about it now because my context is Lutheran. And I think about the, you know, the Reformation and Luther and, you know, posting those 95 theses on the wall for the Pope or the door for the Pope. But he also had the benefit of being friends with Gutenberg. And so there was an intersection between religion and culture and technology in that time period. And so now here we are approximately 500 years later, right? Also being post-pandemic or not post-pandemic, but continuing through living in the season of pandemic, you know, and and you have this, this longing for people to want to have their, their faith, their spirituality, to really be connected to their everyday life, to make a difference in the status quo of the world. Um, and then we have the internet, right? As we have this conversation, you know, I'm in a whole different part of the U.S. as you are. Um, but this allows us to have this conversation about the next Sunday, right? And what that means to to our contexts. Um, but I really think that there is something around the technology and religion and how 
it will change religion and spirituality. I don't think it's a matter of will it. I think it does and will. Um, I I just think, you know, change is our context. That's just the way it is. Um, and I think it's really important for the church to embrace the opportunity of it. Um, there's tension around that. Obviously, that's why we're having this conversation and that's why you're you're hosting this, this event. Um, but I really think that there's the opportunity in the change if the church big C can gather that and, and respond to it. Well, being kind of inside the traditions, the conversation, you know, you're kind of an entrepreneur, like you're inside, you know? So as we're thinking about the kind of the loyalty issue or the membership or affiliation, mm-hmm. um, what are some of your thoughts when, when we're thinking, I mean, like at this point, it looks like 30% of the people are coming back, you know, and at most maybe 50%. There's a few anomalies, but it doesn't feel like everybody's coming back because they found new ways of, you know, meeting those needs of small group or teaching on podcasts or whatever it might be. Right. So what, what's your thoughts, words of wisdom, kind of as an insider uh, thinking about these transitions? Yeah. I mean, I will just say that there is a lot of tension from the the loyal members of past and, and trying to navigate what do we do with this whole next understanding of what it means to be engaged in a faith community or a spiritual community. Um, and so that is a hurdle. And I'm just going to say it's a hurdle. Um, and it's something that folks are going to have to, to work through. Um, but you know, then again, I have witnessed in the pandemic, how these innovations, um, in this next Sunday format, you know, when everything, um, went into pause in New York state, um, we just flipped and we had to make changes. Right. And it gave this sense of freedom to be like, Oh, let's try this. Let's try that. Um, Holy week for me was, all online. And I did a a thing for, um, Monday, Thursday, that was a blend of salt, fat, acid, heat to talk about (laughs) community and hard boiled eggs and food coloring, like live from my kitchen. (laughs) That would not normally happen on Monday, Thursday, you know, um, in my context, but there was a freedom in that space that I really think, um, if we can hold on to that, it's really important. Um, Sunday nights in my in my context, I host a Zoom gathering called a kibitz, which is an opportunity for people to talk about the podcast, but also for folks in my community here to um, hear what they you know heard in the sermon and to talk about that too in conjunction with it. And in that way and in other ways, like um, even ashes to go. So for Ash Wednesday, a tradition I've had for years is that I, you know, stand out front of the church or wherever I am in that community. And I give people ashes on Ash Wednesday um, from doing a campfire with our confirmation kids um, for as they prepared for the confirmation Sunday, you know, and having a more um, lower key relationship focused event that did have ritual, did have communion, but it's a blending of these things, like going back to Phyllis's rose and, you know, drawing that marker. Um, 
I think this season has given the church permission to find new ways of being church that honors those tenets of faith, but it requires flexibility and openness. Um, I am preaching a lot lately um, around, you know, you can't keep looking backwards if you're going to plant a new harvest. You can't keep doing that or you're going to have wonky rows. I even checked with a farmer. Yes, that's true. It won't work. (laughs) I love that. You know, um, with this idea of serving in a local church, you don't have as much flexibility as others may. So, uh, but I think there's a difference between like nostalgia, you know, Mm -hmm. or legacy or looking back, you know, nostalgia is something that captures us and we think it was always better back then and whatever else. And we're not looking to be rude to our congregations, you know, So how do you navigate that idea of people who want nothing to change the way we've always done it? It was much better, you know, like go back to Egypt kind of thing. You know, at least I knew that bricks and straw, I got four square meals, whatever, three square meals. So there is this sense that people want to sometimes go back in your group. What would you say to those who are entrepreneurs, you know, that are serving in churches? How do you inspire to hold the values of those things, you know, but maybe reimagine them. I was, I was thinking about this Spencer and it's something, I mean, this is the gazillion dollar question, right. When it comes to um, uh, churches that are established and my gut feeling on this is that I think for the church to be in that next Sunday space, even if they're in a traditional setting, um, I think some, important tenets of that are belonging. Um, I think generous grace is a part of that. I think that uh, a market-like understanding of community um, or even a different metaphor could be one room schoolhouse kind of approach to things so that the systems are flatter and easier for people to on-ramp and off-ramp, right? Um, so whatever you're building, whatever your context, I think if you have that, that, um, those three things, if you can have belonging and, and the the phrase I use, I I can't say as my own, it's something that comes from the Celtic, um, church, Christian church. They believed in belonging before believing. And that was generous. Welcome. You're a part of us. This is how we do things come alongside, you know, you're, you're, you are with us. Um, and that generous grace, I think that comes to, um, not looking back and becoming, um, so nostalgic that you become scarcity mindset, a a scarcity mindset. You're like, Oh, well, this is changing or this, this is, you know, this fearful thing or this hard thing. Like if we're called into the grace of God and that is abundant, how do we live that out in this setting? I'm not saying that people aren't don't have feelings. We all have feelings. There's always, you know, some kind of anxiety or concern, but we need to be reminded of, of those principles. Like, wait, this is the reorientation. Um, if this worked for Luther back in the day, <laughs> how can this work for us? Um, and I think that it's also important that market-like community, um, 
I think in church, it can, it can become clicky, right? We have our, our friend group or, or this fellowship group or this, this, that we become super comfortable with. Um, and because of the way the church has been in the last 500 years, we've been afforded that. We cannot afford that anymore. We cannot. Um, so I think that there is that, you know, a lot more space for give and take in that arrangement of however you do worship or whatever your traditions are. Um, but also like when you're going through those growing pains of the rose experience, right? What does love say about it? What does grace say about it? What does forgiveness say about it? I think having those theological underpinnings are essential because I mean, that can look a lot different in one context to another, but what are those underpinnings that, that hold us secure, right? Yes. Um, if I shift gears just a little bit, sure. and it's on the idea of your podcast with Sheenanigans, yeah. well, uh, <laughs> I think, yeah, I, she, so with that, I, uh, I'd love kind of your perspective, even it could also be from your wisdom, from your guests or whatever, but like for 500 years, women had no roles almost. You know what I mean? Like talk to me a little bit about this shift. What are things that people should be aware of from your perspective that um, we, we can start to at least have curiosity about or really want to put ourselves in their shoes or with empathy, be curious do you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So I, I, a story actually comes to mind from a different setting and it was a very long and windy road that circled back into my life last week. Um, it was a case of, I was in a, a, a church context where I was doing outreach and on Friday afternoons, I would open up this beautiful parsonage building that was vacant and I would host an after school coffee and games. And sometimes I would have artist friends come in and do classes and we would do potlucks once a month and have artists and musicians come in and play. Um, even the, the regional nature center would come in and like, we're going to teach you about snakes and they would bring a snake in, right. Um, all sorts of things. So one very cold day, um, a young student came knocking on the door and she saw, you know, free coffee on, on the, on the sign. Um, and she very politely said, miss, um, do you have tea? And I said, of course we have tea. Right. And so this student came in and called her mom said, Hey, I'm over at the, you know, the church and over the church parish house. And, you know, it was, that was all good, but years later. So last week, this person reaches out to me now, a young adult remembering that experience of that, that cup of, um, curiosity and openness and sitting down and playing, you know, a card game of go fish. Right. And, and then wants to have a serious conversation with me as a young adult about their faith. I'm not even, I'm almost 300 miles away from that place, but because of that curiosity, the Holy spirit is at work in that, right. That's belonging right? That's grace. That's marketplace mentality, right? Yeah. I love that. 
When you talk about marketplace mentality, flesh that out a little bit for us. So um, it's in this one might get me in trouble, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> Sometimes in church community, we have the habit of saying not community, church family. And I understand why people say that, but I think it can be problematic for lots of reasons because not everybody's family looks like everybody's family. Everybody's context is different, right? Um, Some people's is really positive when they hear that word. Some people's is not positive when they hear that word. If it is a whatever context, non-traditional, whatever context that could be, family, um, is that going to be somebody who is going to be welcome in the community, right? Um, So, um, and I know that people love that word and, and, um, but I really feel like by saying marketplace or church community that reestablishes what this space is about and it helps to break down the clicks, but it also makes that on-ramp and on-ramp more possible, right? It might sound like semantics, but I don't think it's semantics. No, I think language is so important. There's so many triggers, so many concerns, so many worries, and we have not done well in listening. So, you know, we've brought it on ourselves, you know, so it's, we're not starting at zero. We're way negative. So talk to me a little bit about that idea of living you know, in community in that sense that we have to be sensitive to these words. We have to be sensitive to people's experiences. How do we honor them rather than people go like, well, that's a biblical term, or that's the way it is, or, you know, get in your place or, you know, like, ouch. Yeah. I mean, so as, as a woman in ministry, right. I've, I even, so earlier today, I had a a memorial service at a cemetery and I led the service. Um, I announced who I was and at the reception following somebody's like, so are you a pastor? And I'm like, yes, yes, indeed I am, (laughs) you know, and that's, and I mean, that's my personal experience. Right. But that's an example of a bias, right. That even though I've already done the work of literally helping to bury this person, (laughs) wearing a collar, (laughs) that there's still those underlying biases. Um, And I use that as an an example because that's, well, it's an easy one. It was today. Um, But but that's just one small example. Um, Or perhaps, you know, in a church setting where, you know, I have done weddings for folks from the queer community, LGBTQIA plus community, right? And I will be asked, you know, well, if we come to church, what's going to be the response? Or is this a safe place for us to be? And if we actually pause and like, wait a second, this person is asking, is this a safe community for me to bring my partner and my children? That should be a sobering question. And it is. Yeah. Oh, that is just craziness because I know that there are so many who love God, 
you know, are deeply spiritual and they haven't been able to find a home maybe for 500 years. You know what I mean? Like what is some of the work literally? Yeah. What is it? What's some of the work that we could be doing or thinking about uh, in changing that? Are there some practical things? Because there are some people who are listening and they're like, wow, you know, my denomination is just now struggling with this issue, or we as a church need to be thinking this way, or, you know, like, help us understand maybe some of the ways in which you have addressed that. I I think I would ask the question, how would you want to experience church? Even it may be really hard if this is the system you've grown up in, right? I mean, I think I was two two weeks old when my parents carried me to church, right? Um, but but how would you want to experience a community that says that love is the thing? You know, if God is love, how do you want to experience it? And it and I don't think there's a shortcut. I think it takes a lot of these very intentional conversations with those theological underpinnings that I mentioned. Um, um, I mean, I think there's opportunities, um, um, but I think something also as a caution, um, there can be a tendency to have a person that you want to and this is a terrible understanding of it. And, 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 you know, you don't want to pursue an individual to fit a demographic, to help you draw that demographic. (laughs) That is a, a power play. It is a bait and switch and it is ungodly. Just going to say it. (laughs) So that's a not to do. Right. Um, but Spencer, you and I have talked before about curiosity, right. And listening. Um, and I think that that's a lot, if you're really trying to build authentic relationship and community, you listen, you ask questions, um, you know, relationships don't just happen organically most of the time. You have to authentically be curious. Yeah. I love that. We've been at the end of these, I was starting out asking people to do benedictions, but it's turned into invocations, you know, like (laughs) where people invite, inviting people into this new awareness, this new space. So uh, if you would, thinking about people who are kind of the entrepreneur, the person who all Mm -hmm. of these topics are like, they've heard about them, but they're so foreign. You know what I mean? There's worries and concerns about where they might be, you know, in their job, in their placement, in that, you know, whatever. So what words of encouragement, hope, challenge might you give to some people? And we'll kind of wrap it up with that, if that's okay. Sure. I have have a couple of thoughts and I actually wrote a blessing for the next Sunday. Because on the podcast, I love, I love poetry. Poetry is a part of it. Usually every week there's a poem or a song. So I had to do that because um, that's my heart. Um, but I think a few other things I might say. Um, so there's a Rilke quote that says, live into the questions like they are books written in a different language that you don't yet understand 
But the lesson is this, to live the questions anyway, right? Such wisdom, right? Um, One other thing that has been helpful to me, especially during this pandemic, I kind of created a a word game for myself um, or a mantra um, that is centered around the word live, L-I-V-E, okay? And so when I'm in these spaces of... I don't know what to do, or people are panicking, or I don't, you know, all those things. Um, I think about this, you know, where is for L love? What is my intention for the I? What is the verve or the joy of this moment? And how can I do this with ease? So Love, intention, verve, and ease. So those are my, between Rilke and live, those are those things. But I do want to share this, this blessing for the next Sunday, if I could. Change moves me, you, we into God's dance of love that spins us around, swirls our colors so that the gazing eye sees a picture of diversity that is beauty. Changing love makes us a swirling masterpiece, makes us one as you are one. That is beautiful. Thank you for your words of wisdom and a poem. Uh, it's great. I love it. So You're welcome. You're welcome, Spencer. It's been a joy to be with you. Thank you so much. I am your Holy Shenanigans Muse, Tara Lamont Eastman. Thank you for joining me for this week's Holy Shenanigans to surprise, encourage, redirect, and turn life upside down, all in the name of love. This is an unpredictable spiritual adventure that is always sacred, but never stuffy. Thanks to Spencer Burke for his support and permissions in resharing this portion of The Next Sunday. To learn more about Spencer's work, go to www.spencerburke.com. Gratitude to Ian Eastman for sound editing and HSP listeners for supporting our work with this podcast by way of www.buymeacoffee.com backslash Tara L. Eastman.